0: This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Not Meant for This World, by Asteroid B612. It's got this unbridled energy.
1: You know, there was a soulfulness, but there was also that punkish edge.
0: There's just such a great spirit about this kind of music. You
1: can trace this sound back to Chuck Berry. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me again... My co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jason, hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Jay, we are back with a non-interview episode that also is a listener suggestion episode. We haven't done a listener sh- suggestion episode in a little while. I miss these. Yeah. These are fun. Well, because we don't know what we're getting when we get these yep. listener suggestion episodes. It's It's a total crapshoot and we like crapshoots we like we to like shoot crap. craps yeah
0: no i don't like to shoot craps i tried to learn how to play craps it's, it's way too much math for me
1: yeah i just i prefer um jacks actually instead of craps but it's really hard to bet on jacks
0: apparently if you know what you're doing with craps you can actually make some money i just could not follow it
1: that's yeah, too much work it really is because if they're going to ply you with liquor at the casino, the last thing you want to do is math at the same time. you are, man.
0: I'm bad with math as it is. The last, the last thing I want to do is go on vacation and do math.
1: Right. <laughs> so you. we got a listener's suggestion. And this one is a suggestion by our uh, a, our brother from another continent, Mr. Gavin Reed who last year sent us a USB stick full of tons of Australian rock, not just from the 90s. It included stuff from the 80s and the 70s and new stuff just to give us a taste of what was going on down in Australia back then and currently, but most of it was from the 90s. And uh, I've been slowly digging my way through all that. There's a lot of albums to go through. And one of them caught my ear, and I decided, you know what, this would be a good one for us to do on the show it's a little band that you probably haven't heard of but we're going to introduce you to them they're called asteroid b612 we're going to review their album not meant for this world now jay um i know you have a deep reservoir of musical knowledge were you familiar with asteroid b612
0: oh no way (laughs) i'm still uh, i'm having a hard time even uh remember the band name just for the short amount of time i've known it up until this episode i noticed asteroid b something but i can never remember the number sequence
1: well i'm I'm still confused as to whether it's b612 or b dash 612 i've seen it both ways right i'm going with just b612 just to it, make it it's easy a,
0: it's a pretty unfortunate band
1: name yeah just asteroid would have been cool or the asteroids what?
0: When you Google them, do you get pretty good accurate results or do you get like the actual no. scientific? Uh,
1: oh, no, it comes up with the, with the, um, well, it's, and we'll get into this, but there's another aspect to this band's name, which we'll discuss right now in the history of the band.
0: History of the band.
1: Asteroid B612 was formed in Sydney, Australia in 1990, named after a Sonic's Rendezvous song. And Sonic's Rendezvous was, of course, the side project of Fred Sonic from what band, Jay? MC5? MC5, correct. Also featured, featured a gentleman you might be familiar with on vocals. I'm not sure if he was... The only vocalist, but he was one of the vocalists, if not the only one. Scott Morgan. So if you're familiar with such bands as the Hydramatics, the Solution. What other bands did he play in? He's playing in a lot of bands. Let's put it that way. He's played alongside the Helicopters, probably the most well-known band. Um, and he's, he played in the Sonics, in Sonic's Rendezvous band. So they took their name from a song called Asteroid B612. That's where the name of the band came from. They were originally formed by John Spittles on guitar, John Nash on bass. Grant McIver was the original vocalist. Uh, He was then in the band until 1997. He was replaced by Graham Spittles, John Spittles' brother. Uh, Darren Pierce was on drums until 1993, who was replaced by Ben Fox. And on second guitar, Michael Gibbons until 1994, replaced by Stuart Cunningham, from 1994 to 1996, and then Ken Watt took over in 1997. Now the release history is a little shaky with this band because sometimes there's there's not a really good source for a lot of this, so I had to dig through a couple different articles. But from what I can tell, they've had four full length albums and then some compilation albums, which were compil- compiling early EPs and singles. Uh, first album was '94, Forced into a Corner. Second album, 97, which is the album we're reviewing, Not Meant for This World. Third album in 2001, Readin' Between the Lines. And in 2005, Two-Fisted Rock and Roll. There are some compilation albums, there's some EPs, there's some singles, but from what I'm able to gather, those are the main four albums. Now, the band has been inactive in terms of releases, from what I can tell, but they have played shows up until last year. Primarily in Australia. They did do some touring uh, in the U.S. in the 90s. And that is a pieced-together version of the history of the band. Which is brought to you by us, but can be brought to you by you, the listener. If you would like to be a supporter of the podcast, visit digmeoutpodcast.com. Drop us a dime or a quarter via donation through PayPal or buy a t-shirt and you can be the sponsor of history of the band. So Jay,
0: does that mean if we get something wrong in history band with a sponsor that we'll just shift the blame to that person?
1: Exactly. (laughs) I like it. Jay, I picked this album specifically for you.
0: Oh, that's so sweet.
1: Isn't that nice? Um, I, I heard in listening to this band, at first it was just a sampling, and then as we decided to actually go for it, digging into the album as a whole, I heard some bands that I think you're familiar with. I brought up some folks with reference to Scott Morgan, but some other bands that we'll probably talk about that I think that this band fits in with alongside, say, the Helicopters or, or Hydramatics. Mm-hmm. Um So what was your take on Asteroid B612 and do you think that this sort of this is a two-part question do you think this area of rock and roll this garage uh, Detroit punk was ignored as a 90s uh, genre and not really not really given its due at the time until maybe the early 2000s with bands like Helicopters and Lucifer, for backyard babies, such as that.
0: Yeah, in the U.S., those bands are still pretty much unknown. And I always thought, when uh, I started getting into this stuff in the late '90s, early 2000s, you know, I just I couldn't get out of my head the idea that one of these bands just get a shot. You know, just get their like Ricky Martin at the Grammys kind of opportunity, where you just pluck some person out of complete obscurity, put them on a huge stage in front of a you know general TV audience and just let them see what the, what some of these bands were doing, especially some of the better ones, um, like a Helicopters. And how just, like, you know, amazing stage show, amazing musicianship, crazy, you know, crazy hooky songs, you know, just everything, huge energy. Um, you know, they look like rock stars, like the whole package. And there were so many bands like that during that era that it's if they would just... I've gotten some kind of shot. It's really and truly, I think a scene that's you know, it's was underground and for the most part it's still underground. And I think the thing that's crazy is that, you know, the songs are there. A lot of these bands are really catchy songs. Um, You know, they have a really good pop sensibility to them, and um, I think. Yeah, they're delivered, you know, at times fairly ragged, especially some of the early stuff, but, you know, still underneath it all, all that energy, you know, is still great songs. Um, this band, I hadn't heard of, but they definitely definitely um, like the, the Helicopters, um, share a love for MC5, Sonic's Rendezvous, obviously. They named us their band after one of their songs. And the Stooges. And... I think that what, what makes that unique. We've talked a lot about punk rock over the course of this podcast and, and its various forms. And this this is a form that's I think a little bit different take on it. Um, it's punk from the school, maybe the Stooges, you know, and like you said, the Detroit scene, where it's still a little bit um, married to classic rock. I think in a lot of ways, um, with guitar solos and you know big power you know big power chords and um, some strumming and things and different tempos and but it's got this just unbridled energy. Um, and this record has it um, in spades. It, it really sounds like you're sitting in the practice space with this band as their plan. I mean, the energy's there. Um, it sounds like a live performance, minus the crowd. Production-wise, you know, it's got the pretty raw room sound to it, but still pretty very listenable. And then buried within this wall of guitars, You know, just gnarly, you know, screaming, but still melodic, overdriven guitar sounds. You know, there's these melodies that come in and out and, you know, very memorable choruses and lines and really bombastic drumming. So I thought, you know, if it definitely fits in with this band's. In short, I liked a lot of it. Um, It's the kind of thing where um, you have to be a little bit in the mood for it. I definitely felt like, uh, you know, there's nothing here that's particularly groundbreaking. Um, I think probably the most, I guess, groundbreaking stuff would be a song like uh, "Thank You for Nothing," which is kind of a low song, but still has the same signature guitar sound. And you know, they didn't turn down; they're just playing at a slower tempo, and that's a little different. of the bands that, you know, are sort of doing this thing, hippos are pretty quick, um, but they slow things down. And uh, they got a couple songs where, you know, they get a little bit more melodic and a little bit more, um, a little bit slower that I think um, really distinguish them. Like a song like True, True Romance is another example. You know, pretty pretty simple three-chord thing, but it's got a clever chorus. And, um, you know, they, they diverge a little bit from the, Early helicopter sound, which um, there's times there's a couple of songs in here where they do sound a lot like the early, like uh, super shitty and paying the dues era helicopters. Like just track three, you always got something to lose. Sounds like a lot like that era helicopters, and that's fine. It's a little less interesting to me just because I've already heard I've already heard a band do that. Um, so I, I, I kind of prefer when they go outside that a little bit. But you know, overall, I think it's a good record. And it's got some solid stuff going on. What what, what did you think? Being that uh, I know you're familiar with some of these bands, but you're probably not you don't geek out quite as much about them as I do.
1: No, I didn't get into. I mean, I got into Glucifer and the Helicopters. I was not into say you were into bands like the Peep Shows and Puffball and you know those sorts of bands. Whereas mm-hmm. I tended to lean more towards like I like the Mooney Suzuki, which was a little bit cleaner of a sound a little bit more they pulled not only from the detroit sound but also the new york uh late 70s punk slash more a little bit of art rock even in there some with like television and whatnot but Mm -hmm. you know a lot of this track one really has a strong Stooges feel very like 1969 or I Wanna Be Your Dog sound with that like abrasive wah wah that's going on and then it's it's kind of a little sloppy-ish at times, but it's totally stays together, which mm-hmm. is what the Stooges were doing on especially on the first record. You can't avoid your- Really, the only song that's like that. A lot of it is the wrestler record is really tight. Uh, Not Meant for This World, I think, has like the best, and it's the title track, so it makes sense, but it has like the best combination of energy and a hooky chorus. Um, and that reminded me a lot of Scott Morgan. And speaking of Scott yeah. Morgan, in, in researching this, I found out something. You know, the guy I didn't realize the guy had been around since the 60s, and I went to his website, which is uh, scottmorganmusic.com. And I found out that that he's sick. He actually has... He needs to have um, a liver transplant. Mm. And there's like a... This was posted like this May. And he is... There's a benefit concert for him this June in Detroit. And they're taking donations. So if you get a chance and you're a fan of this band, you're a fan of Scott Morgan, make sure you head over to scottmorganmusic.com. And if you could drop him a few bucks. Because, you know, this is a... That guy's a life for a musician. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't have a you know a corporate healthcare plan taking care of him, so yeah. he he's doing it all on his own. And the, I mean the guy's amazing. These guys put out like you know he's played with tons of musicians. He's put out something like thirty or forty albums with different types with different bands. Some of them are soul bands. Some of them are punk rock bands. Some of them are I don't know Bob Seger ish type you know seventies hmm. hard rock. I mean the guy's all over the place in terms of being an influence. On, uh, on younger artists but I just I really liked you know there was a soulfulness but there was also that punkish edge to a lot of their a lot of the Asteroid stuff that was mm-hmm. really cool um, and they did a good job of adding an instrument or two to each song on Believe It's True they had a really nice harmonica Track ten, same old blues. Which you really get a sense of the drum sound on that song, and how big the drums are with the room sound. And then they add an organ, yeah, uh, to that one. I
0: think there's That's, an organ on a, on a bunch of the songs. It's just such a wall of right. <laughs> gets and sounds that you get it gets lost, but it, it it pokes through on a couple other tunes as well.
1: I, I also liked on um, you know, you mentioned the helicopter. So you got, I guess you know this is '97. So I would imagine that the helicopters were kind of. This, this this is probably first album, Helicopters, around 97, is what I'm gathering.
0: Uh, yeah, I think so.
1: So they're doing a lot of the same stuff. I kind of, you know, I know there's some personnel changes. The, the, the guitar player on this record is only on this record, the second guitar player, and then yep. he left, and it's a different guitar player. And they it seemed like they had a, a lineup change at every position except for the two guys who formed the band at guitar and um, bass. Spittles and Nash are the only guys who stuck around so they've gone through different singers, different drummers, different second guitar players. I'm guessing that that sort of turnover probably didn't help in terms of consistency of keeping the band together for touring purposes, and you know, because the songs are not that far off from that early Helicopter stuff.
0: No, they're not. In some ways, they're actually. Um, I think the Helicopters, at least that first album, can be even more abrasive, and I think. Oh the- yeah. The pop elements are a little bit more buried um, on the first helicopters album than on this. Well it's buried um, because they
1: turned it distorted the whole mix. It's yeah, It's so crazily yeah. uh, overdriven that you can barely, you know, listen to it without your ears bleeding if you turn it up too yeah. loud.
0: And it's funny, they uh, the course of their history, you know, they refined down to the point where, you know, their last record was I mean just pristinely presen- produced and almost a pop rock album very clean sounding, almost clean guitar tones, you know, they, they kept refining and refining and refining their sound. And, you know, I haven't heard anything else from the span. I'm curious to see if they took a similar approach or if they've always just been kind of stayed with what they have here and just, you know, just keep doing this or how this plays out from, you know, from 97 forward. One of the things that they, they do on here, that's kind of cool is, um, Really balance. Uh, so I think at times there's like there's at least three guitars, or may even be more, <laughs> on, on some of these songs. But uh, what they do that is pretty cool is that you know they cut the at least two of the guitars will be playing a similar riff, but it's just different enough, and they're just kind of off enough that not only is it kind of give it a cool like Rolling Stones kind of loose vibe, but it makes it sound like bigger. In some way, I pati- I noticed in, in particular if you listen to this album, um, you know, in speakers loud, not not with headphones, it really sounds a lot better and a lot bigger. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, the only other album I could think of that we reviewed that does the same thing is the uh, the Grunt Truck record. It was kind of mm-hmm. the same way for me that when you you listen to it in speakers as opposed to headphones, it takes on a whole other life um, and really. Uh, I think because on this asteroid record, um, it has such a particular room sound, like I kind of mentioned, like almost like a practice space kind of sound or a living room kind of sound. That yeah, you know, when you crank your crank it on your speakers, I think it just it was mixed to sound good in that kind of setup. Whereas opposed, you know, if it's compressed on your head and and um, earbuds or whatever, it kind of doesn't work as well. I was kind of surprised the first time I listened to it. I listened to it on speakers and i really got into it you know right away and then i listened to it um after that on headphones and i was like yeah maybe it's not as good as i thought and then i listened to it in my car and thought no this is really cool i love this so i think it's something about the space and just playing it through real speakers and having it cranked as opposed to like in your head you, you can appreciate that dual guitar thing that's going on and that little bit of like quite being always exactly in sync and so i the bouncing of the toque that kind of creates this really loud, like big space. And especially when you mix in how the drums sound and all that, it, it really, um, it kind of takes on a life. And I, and I think at the end of the day that that's, there's just such a great spirit about this kind of music. You know what I mean? And uh, there's just a, an energy. Like you can just, every aspect to it. It's not exactly, you know, nothing is pers- absolutely precise, but it's just melodic you know enough that you can get the hook, but there's just, I don't know. It's just it's human. It's like real.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is I would say as close to like the bare bones of rock and roll as you can get. I mean, you can trace this sound back to Chuck Berry, and oh, yeah. and, and you know the, the original rock stu- you know f- format in terms of the verse, chorus, verse, mm-hmm. and you know blues influence. I mean, this is this is drawing the line from Chuck Berry to to where the Stooges were getting their influences in the 60s of from the 50s rockers, and Stooges are carrying that forward. You know, That's probably what kind of sunk this band a little bit in terms of being a 90s band, is that it's almost too simple. And not that everybody was listening to progressive rock in the 90s or anything like that, but Soundgarden and Pearl Jam were doing things a little bit more complicated than this. And, you know... Even '90s band or '80s bands, you no. Know, I, I guess the closest you could get to with a band in the in the '80s would be like Hanoi Rocks, maybe. But yeah, they're there even was, more like late '70s as well.
0: Yeah, I mean they're a, they're an early '80s band. I would go along with that. There were some bands. It was interesting. I was going to bring this up, and uh, only uh, Chip would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> there were some bands in the mid to late '80s, uh, particularly from the LA scene, that. We're very much in the mold of Hanoi Rocks and um, we're trying to do something in this vein, you know, um, mm-hmm. an MC5 style, Hanoi Rocks style, kind of ragged, um, a little bit glammy, but still um, kind of, a you know, just a dirty rock kind of thing. So like Junkyard was a band, was sort of like that. The early gun stuff is like that. The first Faster Pussycat album is like that. Um, you know, those are some bands that were actually there. Were some other bands like
1: uh, that? Or that Faster Pussycat album—that's a good one. Actually, I didn't think about that, but that first one is very. I mean, it's it's a lot of blues-based riffs, yeah. so that makes sense. That you know, they were coming from sort of an MC5, Stooges combined with glam rock of like T Rex, which was very simplistic in terms of its riffs and its and its yeah. songwriting structure.
0: Uh, rock City Angels was the band I was trying to think of.
1: Rock City Angels. Yeah,
0: they were sort of uh, they got signed with the same time Guns N' Roses did, and they were sort of being if you know the history of the Guns N' Roses, there was nothing about that band that was from the street. It was all pretty much manufactured from the beginning. And mm-hmm. Rock City Angels was another band that was they you know were trying to use the same game plan with them to break them. But again, just just a really like street gritty rock and roll band. But later on throughout history, you know we come to define as glam rock or hair metal or whatever. But at the end of the day, they were just a loud, you know, abrasive uh, rock band that, you know, played with, um, you know, the, like you said, Chuck Berry, you know, basically taking that idea and cranking it up and looking at different things that you could do with it and how far could you push it, and, you know. And in fact, that, you know, you brought up Chuck Berry for Asteroid, and I think the first song on this album could have been a Chuck Berry song for all I know, <laughs> you know, if you take away sort of the, the volume and the, you know, the the loudness and the, the overdriven um, sounds and pulled everything back a little bit from a songwriting standpoint, I mean, it's, it's basically a Chuck Berry song, you know? Oh
1: yeah. And, you know, yeah.
0: A lot of the helicopter stuff is kind of like that too. So.
1: Especially the later helicopter stuff where they're, they're using the 12 bar blues. Yeah. Is there is their format as opposed mm-hmm. to just power chords and and lots of riffing? I mean, they actually like de-evolved the band and, mm-hmm. and made it more and more simplistic and more and more refined, which yeah. is something you don't really ever hear bands do. You hear them get more complicated, not less complicated. Yeah. So it was a really interesting trajectory with the way that that band wrote songs. A couple. Of the, I mean, obviously, the, some of the other earlier influences would be you. You have the pop punk sensibility of like the Ramones but then you also get some of the aggression of like a motorhead with songs like track eight farewell to the cosmic commander which is like a minute and 11 it's short it's just this like burst of energy and and loudness and it kind of reminded me of the way that you know every pretty much every motorhead song is like three minutes in a cloud of dust sort of thing
0: the riff definitely sounds like motorhead
1: yeah in terms of do you have any other thoughts on this record i i kind of feel like if you get those bands you're going to get this band
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, there 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 are some gems on here. Destination Blues is another song that I I like quite a bit. Um, it's got a really cool stooges style riff to it. Um, you know, I don't know. I can't get enough of, of of music like this, especially now. You know, it's just such a breath of fresh air. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not it's a, it, it's not um, derivative of grunge really. I mean, I guess there's some moments on here where you, they kind of get into almost a mud honey sound. Um, you could say. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's almost ignorant of, of that whole movement, you know, uh, but it's, it's not, um, you know, sort of, it doesn't fall into the 80s glam trappings of some of that rock, right? you know, comes from a really pure place. I, I, I don't know why that is. I think there's a lot of bands, you know, from from Australia um, that do this kind of thing. I think there's kind of an Australia Scandinavian connection between the bands that do this best. You know, a band that came to mind from Australia that it's reminded me of was um, AC/DC. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: Rose Tattoo. No, 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 no. Chair? No. Uh, the Dotsons. The oh, yeah. the Dotsons. Yeah, they had that that one song um, with MFer in the title. I don't. I know yeah. what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. So I mean, they were. You know, I think in Australia they were bigger than they were here. They had like one hit here,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: uh, they had. Uh, especially their their later albums, where I think they introduce a little bit more work uh, and stuff, and they get a little bit crispier, crisper and heavier. Um, you know, they're a band that that was pretty similar. Um, so, because a lot of the best bands that do this are not American, you know, the closest thing I think that we had in terms of bands here that could do it, you'd have to go back to Rocket from the Crypt, um, find band an American band that had the same sort of energy and understood um 60s and 70s you know classic rock and blues and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and could turn that into something interesting i think all the rest of the best uh, the rest of the uh, the better bands in this sh- genre uh were either scandinavian or australian um i don't think very many of them were unfortunately were were americans which is funny because the whole movement you know is kind of a detroit origin right but but the later <laughs> generations of the bands well, you get um,
1: bands after that, like The Go and The Dirt Bombs, Yeah. but they don't... I don't think that they... Well, I mean, The Go never the, really... The, they never really lived up to what they should have been in terms of their... No.
0: And you had, like, the Von Bondies, and, you know, obviously right. the White Stripes, and, you know, they sort of had a little bit different take on the, on a, on the same general idea, and there were some bands that followed that, but, you know, I don't think... You know, like say a band like The Go, I, I don't think they're nearly as good as as a lot no. of the uh, Scandinavian or, or sweet or um, Australian bands that were doing this.
1: And the White Stripes never had the volume. I mean, that's the difference. Is that the the White Stripes may have had the songwriting style, but they didn't have. Whereas, say the Helicopters on the first couple albums and Glucifer and Backyard Babies, they were willing to punch turn the volume up. Yep and they were they were they were they were going full bore.
0: They were committed.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were committed, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: There
1: was no, there was nothing cutesy or um, no attempts at, like, you know, eventually, I mentioned the Mooney Suzuki. Their first album is pretty garage-rocky in, in the vein of a lot of the Scott Morgan stuff with, like, the high dramatics. But then they sort of turned into, like, a commercial pop band with some of yep. their later albums. They got really, really, really pristine with the production and sort of took it out of that. Genre of music and just turned it into pop rock in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I, I think that one of the things uh, from a sound standpoint that Asteroid B Six One Two has it that makes them a little bit unique from those other bands. Is um, there's a little bit more of a sludgier guitar sound, I think, and, and in terms of riffs, um, they, they they can do the twelve-bar stuff and they can do like the, the you know the fast power chords, but they also do some stuff that's more in the Stooges vein, I think from time Mm -hmm. to time, or they'll just do um, some big, you know, big, big open chords and they tend to have a little bit more patience uh, with some of the the songs and the parts than some of the other bands do. So, uh, you know, a lot of these bands, they get uh, just the energy so high, you know, everything's just rapid fire and coming at you a mile a minute. And there's never really much time to take a breath. And I, I did notice that this band is a little bit more comfortable Bringing tempos down, or at least you know, kind of having a little bit more of a feel, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. not rushing things quite as much, which I kind of appreciated. It was a little slightly different take on uh, on the idea, and uh, you know, worked pretty well. You know, vocally, there's nothing amazing or spectacular here. You know, it's just delivering the song, delivering the melody. He um, doesn't scream or anything obnoxious, you know, which is kind of nice. Some of the some of these bands that get, you know, the singer can get. Uh, depending on the era of the band, too, can get a little grating, a little hard to take. But you know, I didn't feel like he did anything. Just to he just kind of you know just fit in. And he serves really the songs. Anything. Yep.
1: So, so for so, you, were the album better EP decent single?
0: I got four,
1: five, six.
0: I got six out of ten that I really really like a lot. Um, I could easily put another two on there. Get to eight, so I think it's a worthy album.
1: I'm I'm with you. I have six that I really like. Easily could add two more and make it an album. So I'm I'm at a worthy album as well. In terms of bands that are around today that people might like. Um, I had one or two that came to mind. One was um, the Cherry Valance. You familiar hmm. with them? No. They have a garage rocky hard rock sound in the vein of another band that I'm gonna mention which is the darkness. This band mm-hmm. isn't clearly in the darkness's end of the rock spectrum but you could leap over to that side. Yeah, like, I mean that's the, the closest I could up. get.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know the obviously the darkness is way more polished. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, this. Yeah, I mean I I guess if you followed the the Jack White white stripes Tours sort of path you could potentially you know kind of find some similarities here and um, that might
1: take you to like the kills mm-hmm. or the ravenettes yeah you know, bands like that i don't know but if you're this, very familiar with
0: R- rival sons no i'm not um that's kind of a a newer that's a newer band that's making some waves um they're a little bit more classic rock sounding but I think like I started off with I think you know classic rock is not something these guys are necessarily rebelling against I think they're just doing it with more energy and mm-hmm. a sort of a looser approach so I could see uh, if you're in the you know sort of rival sons and, and what that that scene is starting to, to emerge if you're into that maybe that would be this would be a good fit
1: any last thoughts on asteroid B612J uh,
0: I can't wait to do some more Australian music it's fun
1: we gotta thank Gavin Reed for bringing this to our attention good call Gavin he's uh he's brought some good stuff to us we had the UMI record at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. we got this one and I'm pretty sure that we're gonna hit some more later this year so Gavin's USB stick will get uh, some more attention coming up in a couple uh, weeks we've got Jay we've got a pick from you
0: what what I pick
1: We've got a Degeneration album coming up on oh.
0: Well, uh, there's a band what we could have talked about in this podcast. A little bit.
1: A little bit. Jay and I will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there,
1: support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening.